Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here uh, at Talk Radio. We're at the start of a brand new week and it is a bit of a sombre morning as we take stock of the news that's been happening over the course of the weekend. The Queen wasn't able to make the Remembrance Sunday commemorations at the Cenotaph after all and there appears to have been a lucky escape for the people of Liverpool after a taxi driver thwarted a suicide bomber who apparently wanted to detonate his deadly weapon in the midst of gathering crowds. It could have been a scene of absolute carnage but luckily it didn't quite work out that way and instead, thanks to the quick thinking of the cab driver, the chief suspect is dead. We'll be talking about that all morning, plus the aftermath of the ludicrous COP26, which, as predicted, appears to have been a colossal waste of time, money and, ironically, energy. Of course, Boris Johnson's hailing it as some kind of breakthrough from the beginning of the end of coal, but China and India might beg to differ. 0344 499 1000. Up first this morning, we're talking to Tom Hunt, Conservative MP for Ipswich. I'll be asking him about the horrific terrorist attack in Liverpool, why it is that Border Force personnel want to challenge their orders to return illegal migrants to France and whether newly elected Tory MPs are feeling unloved by the bulk of the traditionalists in the party. And then, of course, there's the second jobs affair. Peter Hitchens is also here to tell us why Britain's not a corrupt country. He knows that because he's lived in one. Uh, that was called the Soviet Union. And I'll be asking him what he makes of the ever-tightening restrictions in the rest of Europe currently. Places like Austria, places like the Netherlands, places where uh, we normally would expect there to be reasonable amounts of freedom, which are being severely curtailed, I have to say. 0344 Royal author Robert Jobson joins us as well with much to discuss. The health of the Queen and whether she's much less well than we are being told. Why Prince William might take exception to the Crown uh, TV show and could sue Netflix. And what on earth is going to happen to Harry and Meghan's lawsuit with Associated Newspapers following the revelations about her secret email instructions. Dale, Vince and Rob Clark will give us their opinions on climate change and the EU nightmare on the border between Poland and Belarus. And of course, we will bring you another shortage of the day. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. It's a Monday morning. It's a bit dim and gloomy out there, but I'm delighted to say we're joined in the studio for the first time by Tom Hunt, Conservative MP for Ipswich. Tom, welcome uh, to Talk Radio. Thank you for coming in. Good morning. Thanks indeed for joining. I mean, it's a very fortunate state of affairs, I guess, that we're not discussing something really awful that could have happened up in Liverpool. There's still investigations going on. Uh, A terrorist investigation is going on. MI5 seem to be now involved. It would appear that whoever did have what we think was a suicide bomb had planned to detonate it in the midst of hundreds of people uh, commemorating Remembrance Day. Well, it, certainly, it certainly seems that way, and it, I think it was a lucky escape. And I think that the the te- you know the, the cab driver in question, I think it seems as though he acted pretty heroically, mm. uh, and his actions saved lives of potentially a large number of people. But you know, it is disturbing, particularly when, as a country, you know we're all in remembrance for brave service personnel yeah. who've given their lives for our country. That, um, but it's deeply disturbing that we do have these unhinged individuals yeah. who hate our country, hate right. our values, and you know it needs to be thoroughly investigated. It does, doesn't it? And it's very difficult to know, and obviously we can't speak specifically about this case because we don't know the details of, of it enough. They, we have uh, seen some arrests in the case as well, three other people suggesting there was some kind of a, a plot being put together. But it's really difficult to know, isn't it? We, we're always told there's tens of thousands of investigations going on at any one time. I mean, yeah. it must be very frustrating and difficult for the, for the security services. It, it is. It does seem, though, that often we've seen over the last decade when there is an appalling attack like we, uh, driven by a certain ideology mm. that 
they tend to there tends to be a few at the same time. So, yeah. but as I say, it's it's early to speculate. But I mean, it is it's disturbing, and um, we need to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, we really do need to. So we will bring you up to date with all of the news that comes from Liverpool as it comes throughout the course of the morning. Uh, it looks like we have a very heroic taxi driver uh, to thank for things not going much more badly wrong than they could have done. Tom, let's turn first of all to uh, COP26. Um, Alok Sharma looking a bit emotional. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I saw him interviewed on Andrew Maher yesterday and he said he hadn't had much sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of coming close to tears because you haven't been able to do something that nobody really thought you could do anyway. Seems mm-hmm. to me it was a colossal waste of time and money wasn't it well i mean it seems to say they made some uh progress but obviously it seems china and india didn't play ball on a pretty, as predicted a pretty critical issue but yeah. i mean look, climate change is a thing we've got to do what we can to tackle it but i mean it does seem to have dragged on a bit i, right. mean, I mean most conferences only last for a few days this one seemed to go on well i mean everybody to went endless. to it and left yeah. it after three days and then it yeah. carried on for another sort of 10 and you're kind of going why well, well, why did they do that well for? i mean i thought it was going to be a bit like conservative party conference and would last for about three or four days and then it just week after week and week it continued yeah uh, but I mean, let's let's sort of like you know get back on now talking yeah. about I think the key issues that my constituents are concerned about. Yeah, which are they? Because I'm going to ask you about that because one of the things I saw at the weekend was some observation by a particular I can't remember which particular pundit made it, but basically saying that before this green agenda came along and before COP26, Boris Johnson was riding pretty high in the polls. Post COP26 mm. and during COP26, suddenly the Labour Party are in the lead. Could the two things be connected? Look, I mean, other other than the um, you know cost of living and you know um, COVID and things like that, I think the three key things we need to focus on are probably law and order, uh, immigration, yeah. uh, and also combating the woke agenda. I think mm. those three things are the key things. I think many of our mm. voters are looking for us to, to to tackle. Yes, I mean, I think there's no question from the, the conversations that I have here. The NHS is in dire need of reform, mm. and it needs to be fixed. There are so many bits of it that aren't working properly at the moment. Uh, immigration, certainly. I mean, well, I saw that you tweeted out this morning about the border force because of something that their um, uh, personnel are complaining about. Apparently the border force say that they don't want to be returning migrants to their place of origin anymore. They are paid to protect our borders mm. and they're paid to follow the um, direction of the elected government of this country. If they're not comfortable doing that, they should go and get another job yeah. and end of. I mean, are you comfortable with the way that things are currently being done? You see, I, Again, a lot of people say to me, how many people are going to have to come here before the government stops it? Because surely they must be able to stop it. And if they can't stop it, then when is it going to end? I'm very concerned about it. I hear about it perhaps more than any other issue at the moment from constituents. Um, you know, millions of people voted to leave the European Union to take back control of our borders. This doesn't really look like control. We mm. have got the nationality and build, build, borders bill going through Parliament. But you know, the sooner we get that implemented, the better. But, you know, offshore processing, you know, that's... That, Things only changed in Australia when mm. they did offshore processing. Yeah. I've seen the graphs, I've seen the data. I think ultimately what we need is a timeline for when we can yeah. do that here. And when they also said to any migrants coming in, if you attempt to arrive in our country illegally, you will never become uh, a citizen. You will never be granted uh, asylum. I it, think we need to do that as well. Don't so we? they're coming in from they're coming over here from another safe European country. Yeah. They've knowingly broken the law of the land. Yeah. In my view, that makes them a criminal and they should be treated mm. as such. But unfortunately, we have barracks of uh, full of. Um, you know, human rights lawyers who will say, well, they haven't broken the law, they're perfectly entitled to claim asylum here, and if you do try and deport them, we'll stop you. Well, I mean, they need to be taken on a challenge. I mean, yeah. right now we've got a courts and judicial uh, bill going through Parliament at the moment which seeks to end the three bites of the cherry that yeah. they all get before they're deported. Right. We're cutting that, we're dealing with that at the moment because Labour are voting against that. Um, and that's going that's, to take a while to come into force, though, isn't it? It's probably all of this be takes as late a while. As April. All of this needs to, takes a while to come into force. Um, you know, I mean, I've been pretty outspoken on this issue for the last mm. year. Uh, I'm deeply troubled by what's happening but you know 
we have got a bill going through Parliament at the mm. moment that will hopefully make a difference. But in my view, it must involve offshore processing yeah. because it only changed in Australia when they embraced offshore processing right. almost overnight. Right. The numbers coming, attempting illegal uh, crossings fell off a cliff. Right. Because what I don't understand and why many people are concerned about this is that, you know, I get letters, I get emails, I get, uh, you know, communications all over the country from people who say there's a hotel near me which seems to be full of these people who have been brought in. They're being put up in, in, in a hotel. They have been there for several weeks or possibly months. Nobody really knows what's going to happen to them. Nobody really knows who they are in a lot of yeah. cases and nobody really understands how long they're going to be here. You know what I, mean? I, I also want to make a point here. But I think there's actually a moral argument for dealing with this problem because we know that for every single economic migrant that comes here illegally and places pressure on the system, it limits our ability to show compassion towards mm. the most genuine refugees. And we've seen that yeah. with Afghanistan. Mm. So it's absolutely critical we deal with this. I think immigration, illegal immigration, is one of the top issues in the country right now. Yeah. And it needs to be placed right at the top of the pecking order when it comes to the issues to tackle. I mean, I saw a report on it the other day in which it said that the large bulk, and by that I mean something like 90% of the people who are coming on these dinghies, are from five countries. Mm. Iran, Syria, um, I think Iraq was another one, Afghanistan, and I think one of the countries like Libya or Eritrea. Okay. You know. I, I don't actually think we can even say of confidence which countries they come from because a lot of them have no papers. Mm. They may, they might say they come from a certain country, yeah. they might not. Yeah. So we, we, well, we kind of... I'm sure there'll be a lot of people saying they come from Afghanistan now he, in order to get the kind of treatment that Afghan refugees are getting. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think mean, that's very likely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a real problem. What about the state of, uh, of play with the Green Agenda? Because I think, a lot, yeah. and again, a lot of people who have voted Tory in the last election, some of them for the first time, are saying, well, we're not going to do that again because he's trying to make us buy all sorts of heat pumps, make us pay more taxes. Mm. You know, the Conservative Party, as it is now, is not the party uh, of low tax and low public spending, is it? I, I think that I think most Conservative voters, you know, want us to tackle climate change. They want us to care about the environment, but they don't want that to mean... Up to a point. But they don't want that to mean that we take our eye off the ball with regards to the other key issues that they care about. Yeah. And they're also, of course, concerned about what the agenda may mean for cost of living. So mm. that is a balance that we need to strike. Right. And people care about climate change when you ask them if they care about climate change. Yeah. They don't want to appear to be people that don't yeah. care about climate change. But it doesn't yeah. mean they want you to actually do anything that costs them any money. I think that's, there's, there's an element you know? of truth in that, yeah. And there's people an can't simply suddenly change over uh, as if they all live in these big houses in Putney to mm. having a heat pump in the house and paying 20,000 quid mm. for something they can't afford, which won't be as good as the thing they've already got. Uh, I think it's a point there. But you know, I do also, I do think you know, the environment and climate change is an issue of concern, but I think it's, um, there's, all, there's loads of other issues of concern. And well, they, do you know they, what's an interesting statistic? And you might want to play this back to anybody who tells you that it's a, a, a story that people care about. The BBC and Sky News were covering it as if it was the second coming of Jesus Christ, mm. right? And on the BBC website, every single climate change story that they had was below almost every other story in terms of the numbers of views that it had, in terms of the numbers of people watching it. And mm. yes, there are a section of the population who are fanatical about it, mm. but the large bulk of the population are more worried about their uh, economy, uh, the price of inflation, mm. the cost of living, you know, the price of their energy bills. They're much more concerned about that. Yeah, I think that's a chief preoccupation for most of my constituents. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we did we did have this conference. It's, it was in the diary for for a long time. Uh, and it, now they're going to have another it, one next year. It was going to happen here, and I think that you know it was right. The PM you know was prominent in it. Um, right. But I mean, it, it's out of the way now. 
Right. You know, so okay. Let, so let's let, let's so sort, let's move on. Yeah. And, let's crack on. Let's, with it, let's yeah. forget about it. Let's talk yeah. instead about uh, the the state of the party itself. You're a new a newbie into Parliament, if you'll pardon my expression, uh, coming in the 2019 election, along with a lot of other new MPs, who we talk to a lot, by the way, uh, here at Talk Radio, because I think you're the future in many ways. Um, tell me a little bit about how you're being treated, because there was a piece in the Sunday Times at the weekend by Charlotte Ivers in which she kind of painted a picture of cliques and people mm. kind of, you know, not quite, um, you know, separated by, by walls, but, but almost mm. separated by walls, the like of... Uh, of Jacob Rees-Mogg supposedly not being that welcoming to some of the mm. what he might regard as oiky figures who are coming mm. from the, the, the red wall seats. I have to say, I think Jacob Rees-Mogg's always been um, incredibly polite. So He's I mean, a very polite I, man. I don't know where that came from, but yeah. I mean, I, I, and actually, I think a lot of his views and values are are, are similar to to mine and other mm. new, new intake MPs. But I think you know, we we, are, we have got a, a lot of new constituencies represented by you know MPs who are some of them are new to a Conservative mm. party they're very different types of Conservative uh, and I think this has been a realignment in British politics I think we either go along with that embrace it and continue to win or we try and deny the reality yeah. which means that I think we could we could lose so but you know some of the old guard you know I mean they're, 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 there's certainly a bit of um, I think a bit of arrogance and complacency there and a bit of uh, you know, not not embracing the facts. But is and, is there a new Tory kind of spirit, if you like, in terms mm-hmm. of it's no longer the older fashioned kind of Tory from the shires? Yeah. You know, the bloke who's got an office in London does a bit of work maybe for a law firm, uh, but he's got a rather large estate somewhere out in the middle of Norfolk. Yeah. You know, you're instead a younger guy coming in from Ipswich um, with a very different view of the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I want I want the, the Conservative Party to be the party of working class, working yeah. people, uh, and I think that a lot of our new MPs come from that. That background—it's very Thatcherite thinking, you know, isn't it? It it is, but I think I think a lot of it, you know, is to do with. Um, but a lot of our new uh, voters who were Labour, they care most about things like immigration yeah. or an order, right? You know, and, and, and they voted for Brexit as well. They did. They voted for Brexit, and but also immigration control mm. connected to Brexit, yes. and they want to see that delivered. Yeah. Um. You know, we and I think that is you know we've got to go with that realignment. Look at the people voting Conservative. That's what's driving it. Mm. It's the people who are deciding to vote Conservative, right. you know. And I, I think we've got to continue on that journey. There's been, a, I think, a pretty deep realignment in British politics. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I can't see the Labour Party winning back a lot of those voters anytime soon. You know, we've got to deliver. Fundamentally, it yes. lies with us. But you know, the Labour Party, I think, are a metropolitan, pro woke yeah. uh, out of touch party that have failed in their job to represent the working class. So it's set up to work, represent yeah. the working class. They failed to do that. So you know, I, I think the, the red wall is a long way off crumbling. But mm. as I say. We've got to deliver. We've got to deliver on immigration. We've got to deliver on law and order. And we've got to stand up for our country its value and its values yeah. and combat the metropolitan woke BS we've seen I mean, coming out of this. This is the trouble. London, well. where we both spend a lot of time anyway, um, if, we, if you don't say you live here, is a very different place to the rest of the country. And I, I wonder sometimes whether even it Boris is. Johnson doesn't get that, because it, 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 inside of the Westminster bubble, you don't necessarily understand what it's like outside of that. Look, to be honest... There are a number of um, uh, MPs from all parties who spend the majority of their time socialising with people within within London, within a certain uh, social clique. Yeah. You know, so how can we possibly expect them to understand what the man or woman on the street is thinking? Mm. I'd say I go out of my way when I'm in my constituency to go to work in men's clubs and to yeah. talk with them. I actually much prefer doing that than actually... Haven't they all been shut down yet? Um, no, no, no. They're, 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 they're fri- <laughs> they're, the, the, the social clubs in Ipswich are thriving. Yeah. Um, and actually a lot of them were... were strong labour areas and mm. actually it's now the area I get the best welcome right. you know so I'd actually rather spend time there 
talking to them, understanding their concerns, and perhaps you know talking to the glitterati. Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. The glitterati are quite boring, really. I can tell you that. For I don't get invited to many glitterati events, by the way. But you know, let's also talk uh, in a moment about the kind of the situation with the second jobs and all of that. But again, that seems to be part of the old Tory party in a way, doesn't it? The Sir Geoffrey Coxes of this world, very brilliant uh, mind, very interesting guy, mm. very successful lawyer, QC. Um, but does he really represent his constituents? Because his constituents mm. tell me we've never seen him. We don't see him down here. He's very hard to get hold of. We write letters to him. He doesn't answer. You know, he's spending an awful lot of his time doing other things. And that used to be the Tory party of old, didn't it? I mean, all I can say is that I'm I'm very honoured to be a, a, a backbench member of Parliament. Um, I work around the clock. Um, I... I can barely find enough hours in the day to do my job as an MP. Hmm. So, you know, if you're going to do a job properly, I, I simply don't know where you're going to get the time from yes. to do much work. No, I think that's you know. right. And also, I think to keep continually saying to people, well, of course, you know, MPs need to make extra money on top of the 80 odd thousand that they get plus expenses. And people are going, what? Really? Yeah. Are you serious? I mean, the average wage in this country is still about £26,000 a year. So there's an awful lot more people out there who are not making 80. Uh, plus thousand pounds a year uh, than there are who are making more than that. Well, it's it's not difficult to see why people turn off politics mm. when I hear politicians mm. making comments like that. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, stay with us for a moment. Tom Hunt is here, Conservative MP for Ipswich, the Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Tom Hunt is here, Conservative MP for Ipswich. Tom, we were talking a little bit before about the re-making of the Tory party, if you like, or the reforming of it, perhaps. There's some by-elections coming up in the next few weeks uh, and months. Um, Is there likely to be a problem, do you think, for the Tory party during that period? Will people be sort of voting with their feet, if you like? No, I mean, I I think we don't really expect the government of the day to do particularly well in by-elections. Um, I, I think actually before Copeland by-election, it was it was almost unheard of for mm. a government to make a gain in a parliamentary yeah. by-election. We had an extraordinary result in Hartlepool. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think we've got lots of... Uh, I, I wouldn't read too much into the by-election results. OK, so you're quite confident that Boris Johnson is the man to lead the party and, and should continue to be that man, because there's been a lot of being, things being written and said. I mean, it's always people like David Gawk that pop up and Lord Heseltine that yeah. pop up and talk about how, you know, Boris is not the yeah. right man for the job. Yeah, figures figures, figures of the past. Yeah, people um, who don't yeah. like Boris Johnson. Yeah, figures of the past. Yeah. And, and, and I think that it's interesting, though, you know, because, um, you know, the polls, you know, we're midterm, we're in government, we're, in, we're having to make unpopular decisions. Yeah. We don't always get everything right. But actually, I think it's remarkable that we've had such a sustained poll lead over the last two years. Mm. I mean, Ed Miliband often had, you know, 12, 13, 14 point leads and he still lost. So um, ultimately, you know, Boris is an election winner, you know, and I think he's an asset. Mm. Doesn't mean he always gets everything right. But I I mean, I'm... I'm, Well, I mean, no matter what um, we say here and no matter how many times we have a go at something that he's done, there are still quite a big rump of people who say we like Boris Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Let him carry on. I think you know. I think you've got to assess a government over the course of a parliament. Mm. You know, there's going to be points within that parliamentary yeah. term where people aren't going to be that happy. But ultimately, it's it's what it looks like at the end. You make a full assessment yeah. of what they've done over the course of that parliamentary term. And I'm yeah. confident going into the next general, things like illegal immigration will be sorted. Mm. Uh, and and I think it. Some I think of it, that's imperative. Actually, I it think is. It needs to be sorted. I think it. I think it will. I think the prime minister gets how important it is. Sometimes these things take time. Mm. You know, but he's had him being dealt an incredibly difficult hand with COVID and, mm. you know, and everything else. And I think that, you know, there's been more successes and failures in my view. And maybe that's a, not a view that everyone will share, but in my, that is my view. 
Listen, we live in very divided times, don't we? I mean, people dis, dis, sort of, you know, disapprove of Boris Johnson, therefore disapprove of everything that he does. You know, there's no mm. longer very much room for nuance. You no. can't sort of like Boris Johnson but dislike some of the things that he does. Yeah. You either like him or you hate him. You either like the whole package. Yeah, or, or, and that, or, I find yeah. that very frustrating, that, that we've found ourselves so polarised by that yeah. kind of thing. Similarly with COVID, you know, I'm not apparently, um, I'm, I'm certainly not an anti-vaxxer. I'm certainly not somebody who thinks that COVID uh, was much less serious than it actually was. However, I think I do represent an awful lot of people now who just want to get on with life. They don't want us to go back into any kind of lockdown. They don't want Plan B talked about. They don't want us to go down the Austrian route where they're suddenly locking people in their houses unless they're vaccinated. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in Europe. Um, my view is with COVID is, you know, we need, we need to get on. Mm. You know, we need to get on. This is not a... For 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 ninety nine point six percent of the population, this is no longer a killer virus, yeah. right? It's we need to get on. You know, we we need to get our lives back. Yeah. You know, people are enjoying the freedoms they haven't had. They've been living half lives for a long period of time. Yeah. They've got their lives back, and they want to enjoy their lives with certainty that yeah. they're not going to go back. Yeah, no. Listen, what, I was what, out for lunch on Saturday in Tunbridge Wells, which I know is uh, very much a sort of Tory heartland, and it was a very busy restaurant, and it was mm. just great. I was with some people who hadn't been out that much and they were saying how wonderful it was to be in a busy place, making money, listening to people talking, you know, nobody's wearing a mask, you know, it was great. Yeah. It was just like everything was normal. Yeah, but unfortunately, it just seemed, some people do seem to be obsessed about it yes. and they want to continue to just uh, talk about it all the time. Mm. And, you know, I remember we had a few uh, case levels are quite high and I got a phone call from you know, someone from the media saying, have you got a message you'd like to send to people about Well, the media are some of the worst, some of the worst uh, uh, um, sort of... Uh, you know, miscreants, as far as I'm concerned, some of the stuff that yeah. comes out of the media and my colleagues in the media yeah. about why we're not having more restrictions and why people are being allowed to do yeah. so much is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to we need to, we need to get on, but at the same time, I am you know very pro vaccine. Yeah. I think that we're in a dr- dramatically different position to what we were because of a vaccine, right. which uh, should so, change everything. Though. So I, I hold the twin positions of being yeah. very pro vaccine, yeah. but at the same time very anti the idea yeah. of any further restrictions. Um, come what may. So oh. I mean, I I, I hold both. Of those yes, positions, but yeah. I wish the government wouldn't make out that the vaccine is somehow um, a restriction in itself. So that if you don't have it, there might be restrictions. They keep still pushing this kind of narrative, which a lot of people are fed up with. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say though that it's, a, it's a, somebody's personal choice to yeah, have a vaccine, but I would encourage them to have it mm. because it is slightly frustrating that there are constituents of mine waiting for hip and knee replacements mm. in pain, yeah. potentially having to wait longer yeah. because somebody's been treated for COVID in hospital well, who actually, that's a very if they'd had the, who'd ha- who, if they'd had the vaccine they wouldn't have ended up in hospital so you know but, you know but there are plenty of people ending up in hospital who have had the vaccine so i mean it works both ways. the vast majority have yeah they? like the but, vast majority but the bottom have. line is many people are in hospital uh for for, for other reasons and the yeah. reasons that many hospitals have got reduced capacity is because they've introduced reduced capacity but, they didn't have to look quite quite you know no, I, mean? I mean i think we're, we're, we're you know we're basically in agreement but you know i i just happen to, happen to be very i just think we should, i think everyone should go and get a vaccine it's their choice but i think they should go yeah. and do it all right well you're entitled to your opinion yeah. and there'll be yeah. people out there going get lost tom hunt how dare you suggest that yeah I mean, so 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 there'll be somebody listening who's agreed with everything i've said yeah and because i, I don't i don't agree with that thing yeah then and, and then all of a sudden uh, you know well let's hope yeah. we're a bit more sophisticated than that yeah. here at talk radio but did you see the row over the tesco ad at the weekend where uh, and there's a new tesco ad for christmas where the yeah. uh, the santa figure shows a vaccine passport and you just think why did you do that because yeah. of course now there's a huge row going on people say they're not going to go to tesco's anymore you know they're boycotting it because you know santa's a, um, a fict- fictional figure he doesn't did, need did a he, covid passport did, he, 
I mean, you know. Did you hear what happened with Morrison's about those yes. um, anti-EU, what's it, anti-EU sausages or something like something that? Something like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's always a row going on somewhere. Yeah. It's just best not to feed the troll, as they always say. We need, to get, we, we need to get better at disagreeing. I think we as do. As a society. I mean, I'm very good yeah. at disagreeing. I yeah, do it yeah. all the time, and just I don't fall out with people. Have a big have a big disagreement, and the next day you'll be in, in, in intense agreement or something. Yeah, just, it could well be. There's, well, some, there's some people where it's hard. This could be the beginning of it, Tom. Yeah. You never know. Tom Hunt, yeah. thank you very much indeed. Conservative MP for Ipswich. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, time to speak to our good friend Dale Vince, UN Ambassador for Climate Change, founder of Ecotricity, of course. I'm assuming, Dale, very good morning to you, that you were up at COP26 at some point, were you? Yeah, morning, Mike. I was there for most of it, actually. I went for the first week and I didn't plan to stay for the second, but in the end I did. I was, Chill, you know, blimey. You're, a, you're, a trooper. you're a trooper. I have to give you a lot of credit <laughs> for that. It must have been a bit dull at times, wasn't it? No, never any dull moments there, I can tell you. <laughs> Listen, um, but even the people that wanted it to happen are basically saying it was a complete and utter waste of time, aren't they? I don't think they are, actually. I think there is mixed opinion out there. But um, from my point of view, there was progress. It wasn't enough. It never is enough for environmentalists, but it was progress. For example, Mike, it's the first time the world has ever come together and written down the fact that we need to stop using fossil fuels at some point. So in the last 25 years, since Kyoto, that very first UN agreement on uh, climate emissions, that's never been done because countries like Australia have prevented it. So now you've got China, though, and India saying uh, we're not going to do away with coal. Uh, we're just going to make maybe less of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a startler, isn't it? That's how it, it works. You know, it? that's how it works, Mike. Yeah, but, I mean, but, yeah, years but, I mean ago. let's talk about proportionality and the amount of money, the amount of carbon that was used up for uh, for this whole uh, ridiculous uh, affair. You know, more than, than Scotland produces in an entire year. You know, Alok Sharma practically in tears at the end of it. I'm not surprised. I was in tears watching him as well, but not for the same reason. You know, I just it seems to me that there's an awful lot of nonsense being talked and an awful lot of money being spent. And the idea that we're supposed to somehow convince the developing world that they can't have wealth and they can't spend their money on decent energy and they can't have cars that they can drive around in because that would be damaging. And in order for them to do that, we have to pay them a load of money. It seems to me the model's all wrong, doesn't it? A bit arrogant. But I think if you look at it that way, then it is all wrong. But I don't think that's quite the right way to look at it, Mike. I think what we have to do as a world is stop using fossil fuels. And there is a difference between developed and developing countries in that respect. You know, we've got our economies to a place where we're relative, uh, relatively wealthy uh, and advanced and that kind of stuff. And these developing countries saying, well, why can't we have that first before we stop using fossil fuels? And that's the uh, the essential tension, I think, within yeah. the world around ending. But it's the, a good question, fossil isn't, it? Fuels. isn't it? A good question. Absolutely, it's fair. It's absolutely fair. And so there's talk, and, and in fact, there's funding for developing countries to, uh, you know, to compensate them for that and to help them. Uh, yeah, you know, but where's that a, funding coming from? It's coming from us, obviously. Yeah, it's about well, I don't want to give them any. And what if I don't want to pay <laughs> it? Well, uh, you know. Where's my voice being say, heard? Mike. Well, where's my voice being well, heard? Well, I think you've got, a, you've got a channel, Mike. Your voice gets heard. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Well, I suppose you could. I, I'll let you get away with that one. But at the same time, my point <laughs> is, is that there's an awful lot of people that agree with me that we have got enough problems in our own countries to pay for. Um, we have, we've got people living on the streets of this country who can't afford to live in a house because the energy prices are so high and they simply cannot get the money together. So, I mean, a lot of people here don't believe that we should be helping other countries just to be virtue signalling not using coal. Yeah, it's not about virtue signaling, though. The climate crisis will be the biggest problem that we've ever had to deal with. You know, way bigger than the coronavirus, the lockdown that we've endured. Well, that's, what, last that's, two what, years, that's what everyone was saying two weeks ago. You know, we were a minute to midnight two weeks ago. Where are we now? 
Yeah, all these metaphors like 5-1 down at halftime according to Boris Johnson, then it was a minute to midnight. I don't think they're really very helpful, you know. We just have to look at the science. We've got 10 years to reduce our emissions by about 50% so that we can keep the planet to one and a half degrees of, of warming since the Industrial Revolution. If we do that, we avoid the worst effects of the climate crisis. And we're already feeling those effects. We know that it's going to be very bad. What's going to be very bad? The, the climate crisis, Mike, the, uh, what the change is, what is, what is in the environment. Be, what is it that's going to be so bad that hasn't been happening before? I mean, I had um, Christian Walmart talking to me the other day about autumn, who was describing some wind and some leaves falling down on the trail, on the tracks as, as, as a weather event. It's called autumn, isn't it? Yeah, there's a difference between weather and climate. If you look back at the last 12 months, we, we saw record temperatures. We saw record dry spells, record rain. We saw bushfires, even in Siberia, not renowned as a hot country. You know, we, the world is on fire at oh, times last not, year and, and on, flooded. Don't. We had record flooding. Millions yeah, but, you know, but can, you honestly, can you honestly say, can you honestly say that the impact of huge, bigger and more densely populated areas is not to blame for some of the flooding, is not to blame for some of the fires? Are you going to tell me that some of the husbandry of land has not caused fires not to be controlled in the same way as they used to be because of green policies in certain countries? Are you going to tell me none of that's true? Um, I think most of that's not true, Mike. The flooding was caused by rain, exceptional rain. You know, like in Europe, we had two months rain in two days. I mean, nothing can cope with that amount of rain. My house, no my house, my, no house in Wiltshire, my, house in, my house in Wiltshire flooded three times in a week, right? And do you know why? Wow. Because the guy behind, <laughs> because, because the farmer behind the house decided to plough the field behind the house instead of leaving it fallow. Uh, where horses used to uh, graze and where there was enough grass to absorb any water that fell. And because he turned it into a literally concrete patch, the entire village that I lived in flooded. And that was all down to him. Well, uh, is that an independent assessment of that or your opinion, Mike? Well, I was living through it, Dale, so I wish you wouldn't patronise me and make me feel bad. Oh, no. It's affected my no, no. mental health, mate. You know, <laughs> you're having a go at me when you're making me think back to that traumatic time. You know, the point is this. The village had only ever flooded once before in the 1950s, right? But it oh. had flooded before. And then it flooded again. Is... And this was in the 1990s, right? And it was all due to the change in the environmental area around the housing. Simple. And also another, another places in Wiltshire, and Wiltshire's a place you know well, I'm sure. It's not a million miles from you. A lot of new build housing was built in places where there didn't used to be housing. And so suddenly you've got mm -hmm. more cement. You've got less places for water to go. Bingo. You get more flooding. That, I mean, that's true. That happens. Thank but you. you can also you can look at the weather records, Mike, and we are having record amounts of rain and heat and drought. You know, the one in 100 year records are falling all of the time. And that is a very yeah, clear sign that our climate is changing, not our weather, yeah, but, our climate. But we've only been keeping records for 250 years, though. So one in 100 year events fall comfortably within that, don't they? They do. So one in 100 year events have happened twice in 200 years. So what's the problem? No, they're super frequent now. They're super frequent. No, they're the, the records are tumbling from month to month. I mean, last year we set so many new records for temperature, for rain, for drought, for fires. It's like our listening I mean, figures. <laughs> but I Keep know you don't call yourself the fastest growing radio station we on the are. planet anymore. I was going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, we do. We are. Yeah, we do. We just called, oh, I just heard called it. us. I, well, you weren't listening was, just before I spoke was, to you. Just before I spoke to you. It's my favourite jingle, Mike. Well, just before I spoke to you. I'll say it again just I'm for glad. you in a minute if you want. Go on, do it. But do it. Uh, no, we are it. the fastest growing radio station on the planet, never mind in nice Britain one. or Europe or anything like that. But what about, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, we, we can keep rehearsing all of these same old arguments, Dale, but I think even you must admit 
that it's a bit of a sinking feeling. Even Greta Thunberg thinks it's a lot of old cobblers, right? Doesn't think you guys have, have amounted to a, a hill of beans. You know, the Marshall Islands apparently are going to sink without trace, despite the fact that they all flew in to tell us that that was going to happen. Nobody cares. There's not enough belief in the, in the world that what you're telling us is true. And that's why nobody's going for it. Well, I disagree. I think people care. Uh, and more and more people care all of the time, actually. The more the evidence becomes obvious, it affects more people. The more people care, the more people want something done, you know. And and I think it's happening. I think we saw progress at COP26. Not enough, but it's never enough. Listen, I was at COP3 in Kyoto 25 years ago. Have you been ago. to every one? The world set, no, the world set the first climate target uh, at that COP, and it was a mere 10% carbon reduction. All the environmentalists said it's not enough. But right. I thought to myself, look, this is a target, first target we've ever had as a world. And today, 100% is the new target mike so this is how we make progress 23 the years UN works through consensus hey? but it yeah, absolutely 23 because years. it takes consensus <laughs> it takes consensus it takes every country in the world to agree to the words that come out of cop Listen, and uh, you know as we only, saw india and china only... didn't like the fossil fuel no, of course they didn't and i mean it's a ludicrous notion is it not for us to talk about reducing our carbon footprint to, to net zero when the chinese and the indians are going you know we don't care not interested bye I'm not, I'm not saying that. China's going to do it by 2060, I think. No, and not. India said they'll do it 2060. by 2070. That's what they've said. Well, you, oh, yeah, said got, well, you just said we've only yeah. got 10 years. That'll be too <laughs> Listen, late We're on the same page. Well, no, no, we're on the same well, page, no, because you... too far in the future. But at least it's a target. You know, at least there's a recognition that it has to be done. You can always reel a target that's in, like, but, but that's if you like don't saying, have a target, But that's like saying, can you convince a bank robber to stop robbing banks by 2093? He's still going to rob a load between now and then, isn't he? Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about that. But if you don't have a target, you can't improve on it. And having targets is a super important thing. The whole world acknowledges now we have to stop using fossil fuels no. and we have to get to net zero. So well, now the, whole the, world discussion, doesn't, no, that's now not the true. discussion is about how quickly we do it. No, that's not true. The Indians and the Chinese have said that just to keep people like you happy. So you don't keep ringing them up every day and annoying them. Well, the point is that no, they, don't think so. they don't think. I mean, nobody knows who's going to be running China in 2060 or indeed India. And India's population will probably have, you know, doubled again by then. And as will China's. And there'll be double the number of people living on the planet than there were now. And so you have a whole host of other problems. And I think that is where the difficulties lie. And I mean, the only real um, decision that was made that everybody agreed on at COP26 was to have COP27. Well, that's always a decision that's, you know, in, in the <laughs> this bank. This was the last one. one. This what's was your our, answer? This Tell me your our answer. This Mike, was what our would last you do chance? about this Stop problem? telling lies. Start being honest to people about the fact that we can't change the way the planet operates and stop making money off of the backs of innocent people around the world uh, and telling them that they're doing it all wrong. That's what I would say. Well, well, I think we've already shown that we can affect the climate because, you know, we're, we're driving this change. This is man-made activity. Well, why is, it that greenhouse gases are just, why is it that greenhouse gases are still just as bad as they were three billion years ago then? Three billion years ago. Well, it could be a million. That's a very, could be, it was a very different planet back three then. Three million. Well, yeah, we, of course. But, I mean, three million years ago, the, the, the carbon uh, CO2 in, in the atmosphere was exactly the same as it is now. 100,000 years ago, we had an ice age. Do you want one of them? I don't really care what we get. I'll take, I'll take what comes. You know, I have to come and work on the tube yeah. sometimes. It's not very pleasant either. <laughs> yeah, that won't be happening. <laughs> anyway, listen, uh, great to talk to you, Dale, as ever. Um, I'd like to see an optimistic man, even though in the face of adversity, there's nothing much to look forward to. Uh, Dale Vince, though, uh, US, UN Ambassador for Climate Change, uh, founder of Ecotricity. Will he be going to COP27? Because by then it will be, what, 15 seconds to midnight? <laughs> this is Talk Radio.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let us say, without further ado, a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, very good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. We may have to interrupt you if there's a little press conference um, that we must go and check out for a minute or two. Let's get on with it, then. Uh, so let's get on with it. You wrote this weekend that you're sure that Britain is not a corrupt country. Um, I'm not sure everybody would agree with that. Well, it seems to be a very wide definition of corruption in some people's minds. They use the word very loosely uh, because they don't like some particular uh, politician or, or, or form of politics. That's another question. I wasn't defending the political parties or the government or, or Al Johnson or anybody when I said this. I just think people should be careful how they use language. I lived in a corrupt country, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Yeah. I had to bribe people simply to, to continue my daily life. And I have to tell you, it's completely different from anything I've experienced here. If you had, for instance, always to carry a £20 note on you in case you were stopped by the traffic cops and had to bribe them, uh, then you'd know the difference. Mm. If, you, if you had to bribe council officials... Uh, to get your get your garbage taken away or bribe your dentist to have anaesthetic, uh, then you'd know the difference or bribe your teacher to make sure your child got good marks in school. That was what went on in the Soviet Union. It doesn't go on here, and it's ridiculous to pretend that uh, that we've reached that stage. Mm. Uh, we should value what we have. You don't value what, it, what you have. You don't protect it. And it's the, the, I just think people use the word too loosely. And most of the responses have gone, well, you say it's not corrupt, but look at this, that, and the other. Say, of course, I understand all these things are bad about the country, but to use the term corruption is just wrong. Uh, we, we simply don't have this. Look at the, the, the recent revelations about the Afghan army, which didn't mm. exist. Yes. Because all the generals have simply trousered the money they've been given to pay the wages of the soldiers. The reason why the Afghan army didn't stand up the Taliban was there wasn't an Afghan right. army. That was a very uh, interesting. I, I, th- I thought that, that's corruption. Yeah, we, we don't have that. Here, I thought right? that was. A, a, I thought that was a fascinating insight, actually, in, in, into what uh, what happened in Afghanistan. But I do seem to remember, and you may remember this as well, back in uh, the pre kind of BT uh, British Telecom days, you could, if you knew somebody, find uh, a friendly a member of the GPO to put a telephone line in your house because otherwise you'd have to wait about two months for it. Well, I do remember the influence existed. That was quite different. When I came to London to, to work on a Fleet Street newspaper, I remember I, I, I uh, managing editor certainly would have had a word with uh, with the GPO to, to get me, or I think British Telecom, as it even was by then, yeah. it was nationalised, to get me a phone. But that was much more a case of a newspaper using its influence to get someone a, a phone because it was essential for their work. It's, it, there is a, I did say that there is a, a form of corruption by friendship, mm. Uh, which is very common in this country. There's, the, the people are helping each other out. Yeah, uh, but it's is not, that not just that, as bad though? Because, because then, chance, but is that but not, that happens in any society? Yeah, but is it not just as bad though? If you're using influence because of who you are or who you know to leapfrog over somebody else in the same way that others are paying for it, is it? How is that different? 
Well, there's several things. It's, first of all, it's inevitable, I say, in any society there will be networks of friendship and cooperation and backstretching which will exist. And I, I defy you to think of a way of making it impossible. Mm. Uh, but it's not the same as money changing hands uh, simply so that you can live your life in a normal fashion. So people get advantages. Uh, but the, the whole of the Soviet system was supposed to make everybody equal. Yeah. Uh, but the, the actual consequence of it was probably the most unequal society that ever existed with the elite living in secret luxury uh, behind 15-foot green fences in, in, in nice country dachas mm. and uh, driven around in limousines and everybody else slogging along, uh, bribing the dentist. Yeah. And it, that, that is, they even had, for goodness sake, the, the Central Committee of the Soviet Communist Party had their own hospital, yeah. which nobody else could go to. Now, I, I, we just don't have that. And it's just it's, it's language inflation to go around saying that we have because because some MP has been has been doing a second job. Mm. You, you need to address these things with 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 care rather than just shouting yeah. and screaming corruption. So what is the problem? How do we solve it? But the, the lax use of language is absurd. I said, I, I, you can most most of us have visited corrupt countries, uh, possibly without knowing it. My advantage is I lived in one. Mm. And when you live in one, you, you have to come to terms with it. What do you do? And I'll tell you what you do. You become involved with it because life becomes impossible if you don't. Mm. And we simply don't have that here. Let's say rejoice in that and be vigilant against it coming here. But don't use the, the, the term so loosely that mm. you have nothing to say when, when the real thing happens. It's, 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 it's like screaming when you've got a cut finger. Yes. I'm un, I was listening over the weekend to Lord Heseltine uh, attempting to make out that John Major had used two words very precisely. Uh, and his description was political um, corruption. I'm not quite sure what the difference is supposed to be. And I wasn't buying that political corruption is somehow different from corruption. I don't know what he means there. I know, obviously, if, if a country is corrupt, then politics will be involved in that in, in that corruption yeah. because what you're selling is the power that you've obtained. No, that's what that's what that's how the, the reason why this country is largely corrupt is, is partly because of a Christian and Protestant tradition which placed a very high level of value on on trust, and secondly because of the the very intelligent reforms made, particularly in the civil service uh, in the nineteenth century. Uh, which which created a a governing system which was based largely upon merit. Now we've mm. done as much as we can in the last fifty years to undo that, but a lot of it still exists. Also, we we still do have to some extent reasonably vigilant media uh, who can actually point out and expose corruption when it happens. And this is also weakening. And we are moving towards circumstances where we may well become a corrupt country, uh, but we won't we won't we won't protect ourselves against it by saying that we've already reach that destination. No, I, indeed. I've often wondered, because I never quite found myself in the same situation as you, but I often wondered what I would do if stopped in a car by somebody who I figured would be probably in, in need of a bribe or in want of a bribe. I was always too frightened to offer them one and put the old $100 bill into the uh, into the wallet just in case it was the wrong move. And they then tried to do you for, for, for bribery. Well, exactly. It is. It, there, there are there are techniques and phrases which people uh, learn and things which you do. So not not to actually draw attention to the fact that you are doing what you're doing. Right. Uh, and it it, it, it's, it is something which people learn. There was also in the Soviet Union a thing called blat. Uh, it's hard to translate. It sort of means influence, but it means a lot more. So that a, fr a friend of mine whose whose grandfather was a Red Army general. Uh, he, he he never he was very upright, old-fashioned old Bolshevik, very honest and, uh, and determined to, to be to, to be straight. But when it came to her choice of school, 
uh, he, he, he knew she was clever and he wanted her to, to go, his, his granddaughter, to go to the best school in Moscow, school number one, which was an extremely good school. And once in his life, he used his influence as a Red Army general to get her into that school. Mm. So that happened too. That is also a form of corruption. And closed societies is much, much more prevalent than it is in open ones. Mm. Again, where, we, where we've made this much worse is, is by demolishing our meritocracy, which we had through the, the state grammar schools in the 50s and 60s, and turning ourselves into a, into a society where you can, you can buy educational and therefore professional uh, privilege. And, and that is itself, it's a bad thing. It's not corruption, uh, but it's wicked. Yes. Uh, it's, and it's and I think it also if, happens. If, you, if you're truly against it, then I say one of the things you would absolutely do would be to re- restore meritocracy and education. Was, oh, no, the, the 11 plus is so horrible. We can't do that. That's, that. that's discrimination. Well, okay, in that case, if you don't have that, then what you will have is what we do have. Yeah. Uh, which, which is basically uh, privilege available only to the wealthy. Yes. And I don't remember the 11 plus particularly casting people who didn't pass it or didn't do too well in it uh, into the sort of abyss of the bottom of the of, of the pile. You know, people went to secondary modern schools and learned things perfectly well and got reasonably good jobs afterwards. It wasn't the end of their careers as such, was it? No, in fact, there's a guy called Stroud who's written a very interesting book about uh, about the, the secondary modern schools called Secondary Mod, which uh, goes into the fact that many of the secondary modern schools are actually rather good mm. and got uh, got their pupils by one way or another uh, good A-levels or even into university. Some of them are, of course, terrible, but then so are some of the modern comprehensives, uh, possibly even some of the ones classified by Ofsted as outstanding, mm. which one in five of our secondary schools apparently are. One in five outstanding, isn't that good? Isn't brilliant, yeah. It's like all those fantastic numbers of A, a, a stars and A grades and, <laughs> and first class degrees we churn out these days. Yeah. What a great education. Well, I mean, one of the, one of the things that's always uh, been a curiosity to me is why uh, schools individually strive for an Ofcom one, um, Ofsted one rather, when uh, when they know that the only thing that's going to happen once they get an Ofsted one is that they're going to become an overcrowded school and they'll quickly become an Ofsted two stroke three again. Um, and the way to get a one is not actually through academic excellence. It's about having very interesting, you know, social programs that people can learn things about, you know, other countries and other cultures and all sorts of stuff like that. But as soon as a school gets an Ofsted one, it immediately goes falls into rack and ruin. Well, I suppose so, except that almost all schools which are any good develop techniques of selection. Yeah. Uh, all good schools are selective, but what you can't do is select openly. You have to select by some kind of back door and, uh, and, and deciding you'll only take people from such and such a school uh, or, or limit, the, limit your catchment area to such a size that almost nobody can get there or whatever it happens to be. Mm. Uh, or you can simply, you, the, the, the headmistress can get in the papers saying, I won't have people with funny hairstyles in my school, thus sending a signal to a large part of the population of the town that they won't get in. Uh, all that sort of stuff is is, is is part of our education system. We have masses of secret, unacknowledged, uncontrollable selection. But the one thing we will not have, and which is illegal under the, under the Blair Education Act, is selection by ability. Mm. That's it's not allowed. All other forms of selection you can do. As much as <laughs> these are these these are, I suppose, you could say, forms of corruption. But I say they simply don't equate yeah. with the actual money bribe system, which exists in truly corrupt countries. No, no, I'm sure that's absolutely right. We're just going to take a little break from you, Peter, because this Liverpool uh, police press conference is underway. Let's go and check it out. It has to be taken to Liverpool Women's Hospital, which was about ten minutes away. As the taxi approached the drop-off point at the hospital. An explosion occurred from within the car. 
This quickly engulfed it in flames. Remarkably, the taxi driver escaped from the cab. He's been treated for his injuries that he sustained, and he's now been released from hospital. Emergency services quickly attended the scene, and Merseyside Fire and Rescue extinguished the flames. It quickly became apparent then that the passenger remained in the vehicle and was deceased. Army Ordnance Disposal Officers have examined the scene at the hospital and made the area safe. Following discussions with Army Ordnance Disposal, we are able to confirm that this is being treated as the ignition of an explosive device. Our inquiries also indicate that the device was brought into the cab by the passenger. We believe we know the identity of the passenger, but we cannot confirm this at this time. Our inquiries have led us to two addresses. The first was Sutcliffe Street in the Kensington area of Liverpool, and at this location three men, aged 21, 26 and 29, were arrested yesterday under Section 41 of the Terrorism Act. A short while ago, again in the Kensington area, a further man, aged 20, was arrested under Section 41 of the Terrorism Act. They will be interviewed later today by counter-terrorism detectives. The Sutcliffe Street address was searched overnight and further searches will take place today. A second address has also been searched at Rutland Avenue in Sefton Park. At this location, significant items have been found. Further searches will be necessary today and potentially into the coming days. A cordon is in place at this location and eight families have been evacuated at this time. The scene at the hospital remains in place with specialist examinations ongoing. It is not clear what the motivation for this incident is. Our inquiries indicate that an improvised explosive device has been manufactured and our assumption so far is that it was built by the passenger in the taxi. The reason why he then took it to the women's hospital is unknown as is the reason for its sudden explosion. We are of course aware that there were remembrance events just a short distance away from the hospital and that the ignition occurred shortly before 11am. We cannot at this time draw any connection with this but it is a line of inquiry which we are pursuing. Although the motivation for this incident is yet to be understood, given all the circumstances it has been declared a terrorist incident and counter-terrorism policing are continuing with the investigation. Our inquiries will now continue to seek to understand how the device was built, the motivation for the incident, and to understand if anybody else was involved in it. Thank you. That was the uh, Liverpool Police uh, giving a press conference there on the incident yesterday, which caused uh, what would appear to be the death of, uh, of one man inside a taxi who uh, is being suggested as a, suicide, a potential suicide bomber. Let's go back to Peter Hitchens. Um, thankfully, Peter, uh, it's, it's a, a, a much less serious incident than perhaps what it could have been. I'm not expecting you to, 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 to know any more, obviously, than what we've just heard, but um, a shocking situation nonetheless. I think it's always better to, to stay uh, silent about these things until we know an awful lot more than than, than we ever do. Often mm. you don't find out much about them until the actual trials for inquest take yeah. place. So I, I prefer to keep no, my sure. counsel. 
No, I understand that. Let's, let's stick with the, uh, the the theme of education, because you also wrote yesterday about a show which I haven't actually seen uh, called Show Trial uh, on the BBC. Uh, oh, I recommend it. It's, it's is it good? good? It's a good watch. Yeah, I think I, I'd be surprised if you don't if, if you don't find it enjoyable as a, as a, as a, as a drama in itself. Mm. So it's very good acting in it. And it's, it also it, it gives, I think, a very, a, a very accurate picture of what modern Britain looks and sounds like as well. Mm. One thing they can't get right, you know, to, to, you know, television people can never get uh, newspaper headlines right, and also they can never get uh, demonstrations right. It never looks quite right. But no. leave that aside. It's a good, it, it's a good uh, crime drama and, and a good, uh, a good courtroom drama at the end. Right. Uh, I watched it to the end, so don't ask me what happened. But no, it, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's it, I, of, of the things that are on TV at the moment. It's one of the more. Uh, more appealing. No, but you said you were slightly dismayed by the use of drugs or the mention of drugs and the kind of uh, frequency of drug use in it. Well, it's just simply accepted by the police officers and by the Crown Prosecution Service people and everybody, in fact, that it's perfectly normal for these students uh, at, 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 a, at a British university to be taking drugs. And, of course, the case is a, is a, is a case of murder, but the so, but the, the point about it is, and I don't want to give anything away here. The point about it is that it, almost certainly the the murder itself could not have taken place unless the unless the killer had been using drugs. But the descriptions of their of their evenings when they're being questioned about these events of the suspects they simply say, "Well, I was on drugs. I don't really remember everything. I, I've taken so many drugs." And then when he says, oh, right, well, what drugs were those? Or uh, where did you get them? There's also that one of the characters, a minor character in the drama, is a, is a drug dealer who's treated pretty much as if he was the milkman. Mm. And there's, not, there's, there's nothing suggested, it's not, not suggested what he's up to is a, is a fantastically immoral occupation. This is normal. And I think this is absolutely true. It's one of the reasons why the, the programme is so persuasive. I think this is a true portrayal of modern Britain. The police don't give a, a, a tinker's curse about about drugs, and nor do the authorities. And I've often, I, I can't count the number of times when very, really, uh, quite startlingly violent and inexplicable crimes have taken place. I've gone to various police forces and said, well, "Excuse me, can you tell me? Did you investigate mm. the drug use of the of the perpetrator?" And they they wriggle and fuss, and sometimes I have to go to the information commissioner to get them to admit that they never actually looked into it at all. Mm. This weren't interested. No, and I think that actually, if they were interested, they'd find the key to an awful lot of the crime that takes place. I constantly harp on this amazing website. Uh, there's also a book uh, made by, by the person who created it called Attacker Smoked Cannabis. And what he does is he goes through all the, the local newspaper reports of, of violent crime. Uh, where the the user turns out to have been a, a long-term user of marijuana. Mm. And that number of these things is astonishing. They don't get reported nationally because all this this kind of crime is now is now so routine that national papers aren't interested in it. It would have, 30 or 40 years ago, many of these crimes mm. would have made national papers. Now they don't. Yeah. And it, it's absolutely astonishing. I, when Dame, uh, Professor Dame Carol Black was doing a, a, a supposed inquiry into drugs and, and crime, uh, a, a couple of years ago, uh, he and I together put together a, a file of all this stuff and sent and, and, and sent it to her. And, uh, although she she sensed a sort of acknowledgement, there was no sign at all that she was particularly interested in the information at all. And the authorities just aren't. And as long as they are, they'll never get to the bottom of most of this. No. The point that I make over and over again is that uh, uh, most people cannot easily kill another person. Uh, it's not. It, you know, we're terribly in, and rightly inhibited against doing so. 
uh, even if you had in your hand an extremely sharp knife or a, or, 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 a, or a gun, you would find it incredibly difficult to kill somebody. But a person who's, 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 whose mind has been seriously addled by drugs can kill you with a ballpoint pen. Mm. And it, that, that, it's this, this removal of inhibitions and indeed the, the often pretty much insane behavior of people who, who've been long-term users, particularly marijuana, is a very important feature in an awful lot of crime in our country, but nobody mm. cares. And it's time it was investigated. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure even if it's a possession, uh, a possession is an offence anymore because it seems to, I seem to remember under Gordon Brown, it went backwards and forwards from being class B to C to D to A to B. You know, I've no, I've no idea what you're supposed to do. Class B, marijuana, possession marijuana is class B, a maximum prison sentence of five years and also an unlimited fine. Uh, but this, but that's the, in, not in practice. nothing though. remotely resembling these penalties is imposed. Uh, in fact, in general, the police first of all introduced the supposed cannabis warning, mm. which was given to people found in possession, which wasn't recorded and had no legal status. No. And then after a while of doing that, they stopped bothering to do that either. Mm. Uh, and you, 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 you can pretty much be, you know, be found in possession. Of it. They, they don't want to know. Uh, one of the reasons they don't want to know is if you arrest someone for possession, then you've got all the business of handling the, the drugs which are confiscated. Mm. It makes life very complicated. It does. Time so I guess, I guess the situation... It, it is, it, it's just, it just had, they've decrimed it. I guess if you were standing on a street corner smoking a joint and, um, and pontificating about uh, something which was considered to be a hate crime uh, by, by speech, you'd probably be done for the hate crime and they wouldn't worry about the drugs. I think that's about right. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Marvellous. Listen, Peter. So great stay to... off Twitter and you can do what you like. <laughs> Quite. Exactly. Uh, great to talk to you as ever. Sorry for the interruption. Peter Hitchens, Mel and Sunday columnist there talking about the drug use of uh, people in this country, but also uh, why he believes that Britain is not, in fact, a corrupt country. Also, uh, we heard from the Merseyside police there uh, about the incident that happened yesterday outside the women's hospital. Uh, it would appear that it is being treated as a terrorist incident. It would appear that there have been people arrested four other people now in addition to the man uh, who appears to have died in the back of the taxi who would appear to be the perpetrator of the alleged terrorist attack and it would also seem as though they have confiscated some relevant items from the home of some of these people uh, so it would suggest to me anyway uh, that there's some kind of plot that they now have foiled and thankfully uh, whatever damage was aimed at whichever people they wanted to blow up luckily it didn't seem to happen thanks to the quick thinking uh, of the taxi driver the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, we just heard from um, the Merseyside police that there was an explosion. It's been declared a terrorist incident. The motivation is yet to be understood, they say. Um, uh, they have arrested four other individuals at two different addresses uh, in the city, and we will hear more throughout the course of the day. And whenever there is breaking news, we will bring it to you right here, of course, on Talk Radio, uh, the home of common sense, the place where you find the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The police are saying they're not quite sure why um, the taxi driver was asked to go to the women's hospital in Liverpool, particularly after the original request was to go near where the Remembrance Sunday service was going on. Uh, what is clear is that certainly uh, a much worse catastrophe has been avoided, thanks to the quick thinking, it would appear, of the taxi driver. Let's talk now to Rob Clark, Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society. Rob, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. I know we're going to talk about what's going on in Europe and at the Belarus-Poland border in particular. Uh, what's your sort of sense, first of all, though, with what happened yesterday in Liverpool? 
Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, events are coming in at the moment. Like you've just said, we've just heard it has been declared a terrorist incident. I think that's really important. And obviously, there's a lot of suspicion it was terror-related, um, but the police still haven't revealed the um, the motivation. That's the key. Uh, that's the key bit of information mm. that's needed to declare something a terrorist incident. I, you know, some sort of uh, literature found at the scene, some yeah. sort of note or some sort of intent uh, behind it. Uh, it's going to be quite difficult for the police to piece this together based on the forensics. I mean, the, the taxi's absolutely burnt out. There's, there's not much left for uh, on the forensic side. Um, so it's interesting to know why precisely they have declared it mm. uh, a terror-related incident without then, like I say, uh, stating what, what the motivation was behind it. Sure. Um, but it's absolutely breathtaking. Mm. Um, I mean, I've got to say absolute uh, all credit and, and more so to uh, David Perry, the taxi driver. Um, absolute talk about selfless commitment. And it shows, again, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the great British public, when there's any sort of terror-related incident or uh, some form of uh, emergency, um, you know, the, the British public are absolutely uh, heroic. Uh, we see it time and again when there's incidents like this, unfortunately, on our streets. No, absolutely. They seem to think that it is um, a trigger of some kind that was um, that was exploded rather than an actual bomb. So I think that's part of the reason they gave as to why they believe it to be a terrorist incident, because they believe there was a device somewhere in the vicinity which actually, fortunately, wasn't detonated. Mm. Yeah, the detonator. And when we look at the 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 the, um, the 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 messaging, the symbology behind it, whatever the uh, the motivation. But if we look at the target, first of all, it was likely going to be the remembrance service uh, near Liverpool Cathedral, and then uh, presumably uh, a change of mind. And uh, just just as shockingly, the uh, the the women's and maternity hospital. Mm. Uh, both targets were absolutely. Uh, quite frankly, quite sickening and, and, and heinous and evil. Uh, it's it's just breathtaking. Yeah, it really is. Let's talk about what's going on uh, in Europe at the moment, because still uh, it would appear that there are warning signs, there are warnings being given out, but there's nothing really changing, it seems to me, unless you're going to tell me that something has changed overnight uh, with what's the sort of standoff that's going on uh, on the Belarusian and Polish border. Well, nothing's changed overnight in terms of what's happening, but I think what's, what's crucial is now uh, potentially NATO are going to be getting involved where the EU uh, are found to be lacking. So um, the EU Foreign Minister Joseph Borrell has uh, condemned it and, um, you know, insisting that Belarus, uh, you know, do something about it and these these actions must stop. Merely saying that isn't going to motivate the, um, uh, the, the Lukashenko regime uh, in Minsk, uh, nor uh, their finances and backers in, in Moscow, uh, Putin. What's interesting is under NATO's Article 4, um, it, can, it can trigger uh, a response by NATO countries when uh, a member state uh, like Poland has had its territorial, um, has had its territory infringed upon. Um, so, you know, we've seen uh, quite often the, uh, the Belarusian security forces, um, you know, push and shove um, and al- almost uh, orchestrate the, um, this mass exodus uh, over the border. Um, in terms of the, the Belarusian authorities, their, their behavior has been absolutely shocking. We've seen uh, strobe, lights, uh, strobe lighting and lasers being used to uh, blind uh, the Polish um, you know, border control authorities. Um, this goes against international convention. Um, so there's a whole host of security implications. Um, and it's important to note that you know, Belarus is, by all intents and purposes, uh, a satellite state for Russia. Mm. Um, so it's going to be incredibly difficult to uh, bring the Belarusian government to bear. Um, they won't be able to do so. It's going to be trying to use leverage with Putin. Now, Putin's not stupid, as we know. He's been watching um, you know, Europe, or especially Britain and America, tilt towards the Indo-Pacific. Um, and you know, he's been very, very clever manipulating 
uh, both the situation in Ukraine and Belarus. The two are absolutely linked and go hand in hand. We see 100,000 Russian soldiers mobilizing on the Ukrainian border over the last few days. And at some point, Putin knows he has to make good on these threats. It's no good threatening to um, you know, have these uh, enormous mobilizations. 100,000 soldiers is remarkably uh, large. Um, uh, without actually making good on any sort of threats or any sort of uh, veiled threats. So there's going to come a time where actually this comes to a head. And this actually highlights what General uh, Sir Nick Carter, the outgoing Chief of Defence Staff in Britain, uh, said only last week at the Defence Select Committee, how you know the, the risk um, and the likelihood of uh, an accidental war with Russia has never been higher than mm. it is now. Um, and this situation in Belarus actually highlights that. Well, it's hard to imagine how uh, this situation is diffused, isn't it? Because there's so many people on both sides of that fence. Um, and it is obviously a very volatile situation. Um, we're being told, or uh, there are stories, certainly, whether they're confirmed or not, uh, that some of the young men who are coming from um, the Middle East are being given pills, possibly barbiturates, possibly uh, uppers, to kind of make them into slightly more crazed fighting machines. I don't know whether that's true, but certainly the Polish authorities are saying that. Uh, they're hinting as well that the, that the people over there should not take any pills handed out by, uh, by Belarusian soldiers. I mean, it really is quite a nasty situation i mean it nasty pretty much sums up uh, sums it up and it just highlights the the extent to which uh, the belarusian government uh, do not respect international law uh, and uh, norms and, and regulations in terms of diffusing the situation there are one or two things that can happen now so uh, for example poland has already appealed to the european union doubtful that this will happen um but to get funding to actually build um, you know uh, uh, structures and walls on, a, on the border these fences we can see um, you know, are, are just coming down. Uh, Britain as well, we've actually sent around a dozen, 10 or 12 uh, Royal Engineers, um, an advisory team to Poland uh, to advise on how to reconstruct um, and uh, reinforce these uh, these borders um, that, that are getting, uh, obviously, uh, that are getting um, pushed through. So there's a few things happening now. The diffusion, I mean, th th look, this goes to highlight just how borders do have um, you know, a place still in, in 21st century when people say, oh, Europe is borderless and, you know, people, you know, the, the free transport of people, uh, it absolutely undermines that. And unfortunately, we're going to see this uh, on, on, on the shores of Britain. I think last week was it uh, on Thursday was the highest number ever recorded number of migrants uh, made the crossing over the uh, over the channel. Um, and, you know, a, a large portion of them have come from sort of Belarus into Poland uh, from the Middle East. Yeah. Um, and th this is only going to get worse in the short term. And where exactly is the recruitment going on? Because, I mean, it much, it's much easier to say that Russia is encouraging these people to come into Belarus than it is to imagine how that works. I mean, how does it, how does it actually work? Well, I mean, in terms of Russia's influence, Russia basically completely finance and support the Belarusian government. So in terms of um, this all comes down to the sanctions that the European Union quite rightly placed on Belarus um, after the uh, after the um, the so-called election of uh, re-election of Lukashenko. Um, so it's a it's a direct pushback against those EU sanctions. Belarus are trying to hit uh, the the EU where they can hardest, which is the borders and creating security problems that we're seeing now, um, which will reverberate, like I say, all the way back into into England, um, and, and like I say, with Russia. So the EU sanctions aren't actually that effective when you've got Russia pretty much bankrolling um, the, the Belarusian government. Belarus is incredibly important to Russia for a whole, whole host of strategic reasons. Um, it gives them immediate access to uh, northern Ukraine, which they can't get from the other side. Um, and it also connects them to uh, the enclave in Kaliningrad, where they've got the uh, intercontinental, intercontinental 
um, ballistic and cruise missiles. Mm. So Belarus strategically is incredibly important to uh, Russia, more so than Ukraine. Right. Um, so Russia will go to any length in terms of, um, you know, propping up and uh, securing the Belarusian government that's obviously pro-Moscow, like Lukashenko. And this is just more kind of posturing in a way, isn't it, from Putin? Because he can. He can get away with it in the same way that he could, uh, if he wished, slightly withdraw some of the gas supply to uh, Western Europe in the same way that he can mess about uh, if he wishes to on various other borders with some of the former Soviet satellites, the countries, in the same way he can go to, as you say, Ukraine uh, or indeed Belarus. But, I mean, he doesn't really want an accidental war with the West, does he? No, it's, uh, he wants it no more than we do in that sense. I mean, Russia are incredibly weak uh, economically. Um, you know, they're still grappling with uh, COVID uh, domestically. Um, so there's a whole host of domestic political reasons. But again, this comes back to why Putin does what he does. Um, you know, Russia respects strength. Uh, you know, Russia, uh, Putin is a very, um, you know, strong in that sense uh, leader for the Russians. Um, so whenever he uh, raises these security issues um, or threats, it makes him appear quite strong at home. Uh, we know here it's not the same, uh, and we can obviously we can counter that with uh, you know with with uh, with with, uh, with uh, in the news and with the narrative that we're doing now and messaging. Um, but in terms of uh, going forwards, like I said, Putin knows that sometime he will have to make good on these threats or veiled threats. He's doing that now with Belarus and and probing and testing the European Union with the Polish border. But also with Ukraine, there will come a point where he knows he can't just keep mobilizing tens of thousands of soldiers, then pulling them back again. Um, so this is what I mean when, uh, or this is what Nick Carter, General Carter meant, where we are at a, a very dangerous time where this, the risk of accidental war has never been higher. Yeah. Nobody wants us, especially over a border with Poland and Russia. But what's important is actually to support Poland uh, through, through, the, uh, through NATO. And I completely support the, uh, the triggering of Article 4 if it goes ahead. Um, with how to support NATO, uh, sorry, how to support Poland with their territorial integrity. Mm. We'd expect it of ourselves. We'd expect it of, of the French, dare I say, or the Spanish. So we should absolutely support Poland. It's important to note as well, in terms of European countries, there's no real stronger ally of Britain than Poland. Mm. If we look back to World War II uh, and even before that, you know, Poland is one of Britain's strongest allies. So I, I support the, the, um, you know, the, uh, the support of Poland absolutely unequivocally in this sense. OK. Rob, thanks very much indeed. Rob Clark, Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society. They're talking about the bad and getting worsening situation over there uh, on the border between Poland and Belarus. NATO probably now having to get involved in order to smooth things down uh, and to make sure it doesn't actually escalate into something much bigger uh, than it has already. It doesn't look good. Uh, it certainly is not a good look for the European Union. They seem to have been able to do absolutely nothing about the uh, trouble that's been caused on that particular border uh, and they don't seem to be able to find a way around it either talk radio across the uk online on dab and on your smart speaker the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app and if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.